Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. To round out Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, we have a special guest today that we're really excited to chat with and, and dive into her involvement in the whole movement that is teen dating violence, how we got here today and some of the things that we're currently working on. So let's go ahead and introduce Jasmine. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Jasmine, do you mind just telling us perhaps the agency you work at? How long have you been in the teen dating violence field? Yeah. So uh, I started working in 2010 in the dating violence prevention field for Break the Cycle, which is a former national organization that dedicated their work to expanding services and creating opportunities for survivors of dating violence to receive legal aid and education across the country. Since last year, um, just one year, I have been an independent consultant and I started my own organization called Leaders Ending Violence. And what I do is I work with a few organizations across the country to consult um, with them around their programs and operation needs. So I still am involved very heavily in the teen dating violence awareness movement. Um, and I really enjoy working in community and with survivors. That's incredible. And I mean, especially you starting in the field in 2010, you know, that's well over a decade of knowledge and experience. Um, so commendable. And you branching out and starting something new and something that you're so passionate about and really building from that to create a whole new movement outside of Break the Cycle. Just super commendable. We really have deep respect and appreciation for your work. So Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here today uh, just to really round out this month, right, and just end it on such an amazing conversation. But before we go ahead and kind of ask you the more serious questions of the day, we always start off with a few fun questions for our guests. And so our first fun question for you, Jasmine, is if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I love this question, and uh, I am... A very uh, a person that likes to say things and is bold, but is also super practical. So here it goes. <laughs> I would take uh, time travel Ooh. without any weird like issues with the multiverse and without like changing <laughs> history and causing any weird systems. So it's like I want to go to time travel, but I also don't want all the bad things to happen that comes with that, right? Um, so channeling Doctor Strange, but being able to control it enough to not cause loopholes and stuff like that. Um, I just think traveling back in time, not so much to change what has happened in the past, which a lot of people like to do, but just to visit some of my family members that I didn't know or to mm -hmm. kind of be able to travel without taking six plus hour flights across the country, you know, just being able to go on my own, my own pace. Um, so I think it's some kind of ev some evolution of time travel that is not going to wreck the world. Love that. Love that answer. Yes. Very important considerations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we completely forget that there's those movies and we could have those repercussions with that superpower. <laughs> yes. The responsible superpowers. That's going to be the next question. <laughs> I love it. All right. Our next one is who is someone that inspires you and why? There are so many people. Um, that I think about. So um, I really have to just chalk it up to 
I, it's very typical to say, you know, your mom. Right. Um, she inspires me. But also I think just the women who have come in my life who have taken mentorship roles or allies, um, you know, thinking of that familial community connection that I have, that's just so inspiring because I don't understand um, how so many of us have created such a good impact in our community with so little. Yeah. So I think just the women who are out there making something out of nothing, uh, turning these families into stronger, happy families without the resources on their own, mm-hmm. um, that level of resilience that comes from my parents, my grandmothers who were immigrants themselves. So I think just mothers inspire me um and just women who maybe do not have children of their own but who have mothered communities so I just let's just say women women inspire me all women yes. <laughs> yeah I love when we have a fun question that ends up turning into like not a serious but more of a I love it because it just shows that our guests are just chomping at the bit to really <laughs> tell us all about their work <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how all these years of experience will lead me to connect to the work somehow. Um, Yeah, right? (laughs) It's crazy how that happens. Yeah. But no, I love that. I just like the idea too. You know, I think a lot of people in a lot of circumstances don't believe that they have a lot to give, right? Or that they can create change or impact because of a lack of resources and opportunities. And so I think that's such an incredible thing to keep in mind, you know, how many people are able to create such drastic changes and their lives and the lives of their communities and those around them with so little. And so I think that's just a beautiful thought point and a great answer. And so our last fun question for you before we dive into the rest, and this is a question we ask every single guest on the show. And because you've already said you would love to time travel, that makes me especially curious to hear your answer for this one. And so if you could have lunch with anyone throughout all of time, fictional or non-fictional, who would it be and why? And I see the pondering face. It's a it's a tough one, right? That's I think that's why we chose to ask everyone this question. Yeah, that is it's it's an interesting one. Hmm. Okay. Oh, I can't. So many people. I'm like, can it be a you know? Can we go to a buffet and I can just kind of go around the room? <laughs> like, does it have to be? Does it have to be lunch with one person? You know, it's your your answer. You can make it whatever you want to be. It could be a full buffet. It could be whatever you want. There's no right or wrong answers here. I want to have lunch with a lot of, I'm going to blank out on the names, but poets and writers that have kind of influenced some of my teachings and who have shaped some of those, you know, high moments in, in darker or lower times. So... Uh, I'm definitely thinking like Maya Angelou, right? Like I'm yeah. thinking of different people, different artists. Um, so I could make it a, a lunch, but I'm also just like basking in their glor- glory and in their words. Um, so I don't know. I don't have one tic- one particular person. Right off the bat, like Anne Frank came to mind, Ooh. right? And once like, she's a writer, yeah. you know, she, she was someone who kind of documented all of the pain and struggle. So that's where I was like, oh, but what about Maya? And what about all of these other people you'd be leaving mm-hmm. out? So I don't know. I guess it's a bad answer. I'm going to I'm going to take the route of not answering with one person and just say every writer or person who I have captured some of their words 
and applied them to any fillings or any growth in my work, that's who I want to have lunch with. And I'll share. We can have one plate, but I'll <laughs> cut little pieces for every person just to make sure I have room for everyone. But no, that is a tough mm-hmm. question. But not a bad answer. And I don't know if you gave that to me with the time to prep. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I know even if you gave me it before. So that yeah. was a great question. <laughs> <laughs> we like to catch people off guard with those because sometimes mm-hmm. your initial reaction is really just telling for personalities. And so again, yeah. the fact that you went back to, you know, circling with how it informs your work just shows how much passion you have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to think about that one. And I might have to start asking people that question. <laughs> just let us know, you know, after the fact, you'll take a think on it, but I think it's an awesome answer. Because I'm thinking Frida, Sandra Cisneros. I'm thinking of all these influential people. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, we'll stop. Good question, guys. Good question. (laughs) All right. So moving on from those quickfire questions, we're going to jump into our topic today. So you've been working with youth for so many years, and we're really looking forward to the insight that you have on this topic. Our first question for you Can you tell us how far the teen dating violence movement has come in terms of how long it's been around or some of the biggest changes that you've been there for in the movement? Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to say that there's been a lot of changes and a lot of momentum has been built since the start of, um, you know, dating violence prevention work. And yet there's still so much to do. Mm -hmm. So the official start, which I think really gets recognition, is the first ever Teen Dating Violence Awareness and Prevention Month, which happens to be in 2010 when I started the work. Um, But I know that in working with Break the Cycle, when they were founded in the late 90s, they were already starting to pick up some of the teen dating violence prevention work because a lot of the survivors who were considered mostly adult women over 25 were sharing that they were experiencing abuse early on as teens. Mm. So I would say probably the start of the late 90s, I mean, and honestly, if we're thinking about when people experience dating violence, it was before then. Right. But education and kind of uh, taglines and theories of practice around interpersonal violence really started coming through um, in the early 2000s and the 2010s. Um, but I know that a lot of the push in the early days, at least what I've experienced, was a lot around education because there was a lack of understanding that the term even existed for people who were not married, right, who did not have children or were not in a, you know, committed, quote-unquote, relationship. But these teenagers, what do you call it when they're experiencing abuse? So for me, as a, you know, I experienced dating violence at 15, it took me until my early 20s at the university to even know that there was a thing called intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. And when I sat and I read in a textbook that the patterns of abuse were X, Y, Z, and then I thought, whoa, I'm a part of this group that no one wants to be a part of, but I can actually, there's a book telling me that I went through this. Yeah. So that was 2000. Eight two thousand nine, when I started taking those classes, and only because I was studying child development 
did that fall into the child abuse and neglect category? Mm -hmm. Um, Did I see that there was a term? So it came a long way from education in the 2010s. And then around 2012, I was a part of working with uh, the National Domestic Violence Hotline and the Love is Respect Initiative to create the first ever youth advisory board for Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. So this was 2012. So two years after the formal recognition, we create the Youth Advisory Board. They pick the color. They pick what they want to do, where Orange Day started from there. Uh, We did Respect Week, uh, different initiatives. Back then, it was like, what are we going to do on Facebook and kind of Instagram, but it wasn't popular yet. Mm -hmm. And since 2012, I have seen that it has become more youth-centered and youth-led. Uh, I have seen more community organizations that are maybe not a part of national initiatives, but smaller local hubs of their work shine through the Awareness Month. And I mean, let's be honest, the use of the hashtag also evolved since the beginning of the Awareness Month. So being able to use social media. So we shifted from, although the term was dating violence awareness, it was now more about action so awareness and education early on now it's about action and response yeah so i've seen that growth that i'm really proud of because there are still some people who i connect with and they're like what is dating violence what is relationship violence but it's very few people now because there's been so much awareness over the years so at least people know the term Maybe they're not sure of the nuances, um, but there's definitely more recognition and media and social media and youth Mm -hmm. are paving the way. And I hope it continues that way. As long as youth are front and center and community is front and center, I'll be happy for as long as this goes on. I think that's so incredible. And I just want to say thank you, too, for sharing your personal experience with it, right? Mentioning that you are also a survivor. Um, but I also think it's incredible because, you know, Brianna and I have been working in prevention for, you know, a good five, six years now. And we celebrate things, right? Like Wear Orange Day and Love is Respect Week and all these things that you were kind of like a pioneer in creating and being a part of in its foundation. And so I just think it's really awesome, um, you know, because of our close involvement with all those things right and kind of hearing that little origin story I think is just really amazing and so you know and you mentioned kind of putting youth front and center which I think is such a a beautiful principle right of the teen dating violence awareness movement and I'm sure with you know throughout your entire time now working with youth uh, you've probably had a lot of wonderful experiences working alongside youth and helping them you know create and pave the way for certain um, aspects of this movement So we're wondering, can you share a favorite moment or perhaps moments throughout your years working with youth? Yes, I'll share a few. Um, So one that I can think of that was a big community win uh, was we created opportunities for during Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month for local artists to be kind of Uh, have a spotlight or shine right Um, and when I say we I'm still using the collective we as in what break the cycle and I did Um, but at break the cycle and with love is respect when when there was a partnership right Um, it was how can we bring in media and arts to this work because as you heard in my responses about who I would have lunch with, a lot of poetry and art is what I'm all Mm -hmm. about if you could see the office you would see the artwork Um, but 
we had a, a campaign where it was like, come design a t-shirt for Dating Violence Awareness Month. And we had a few, you know, youth, and it wasn't any requirement of like what we considered you to be a, a, an artist, right? It was like, show your art, whatever it looks like. And we were receiving pictures of from fourth graders and fifth graders, right? That were out, a little outside of that 12 to 24 demographic, mm-hmm. but images of hearts and love is blank and love is, you know, love is love and rainbows and the inclusivity that I saw at a very young age, like that made me proud of this yeah. movement that we had those youth who whew, by now they're probably in their 20s. Um, if I'm doing the math of how long <laughs> I've been doing this work, um, they were able to see a bigger and brighter hope for them, some inclusive hope that, you know, we can be a part of this movement. And although our age, our only requirement was you have to be 12 to 24, I hung on to those um, images of the hearts and from the fourth graders Mm -hmm. and fifth graders. And I was like, nope, these are going in my office. I actually still have a heart talk bubble display in my office where it was a fifth grade elementary school. Um, a, a fifth grader led his class in defining what love means to them. Wow. And all of their examples were like healthy boundaries and respect and yes. trust. And I was like, what is happening? Right. Are we honestly <laughs> influencing the younger generation to be better than we are? Yes. So that was a big moment for me. Um, also working with a local artist who was able to be featured in a magazine because of their artwork for their dating violence awareness campaign and going with them here in Los Angeles to get their makeup done and be a part of a photo shoot. Um, and this young woman was like, I never thought this would happen to me. So That's being so able cool. to spark change, but also talk about violence prevention has always been really fun uh, for me. And I think another moment that was really impactful for me personally is uh, I remember one workshop that I did and I had a young woman come to me. She was was probably sophomore or junior class, 10th or 11th grade class. And she came up and she's like, I just want you to know that all this information really helps me. I just thought that I was dealing with, you know, a crazy ex or Mm -hmm. someone that was dealing, you know, I was in a a relationship that was full of drama. Yeah. And that word of drama stood with me. And she's like, thank you. I think I'm ready to break up. Wow. And I was like, okay, um, you know, there's safety planning Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, there's things you need to consider. But the reason why that, interaction stood with me because I've had many many people come up and share was because she used the one word that I used to define the relationship I was in when I was 15. Mm-hmm. I just thought he was it was a bad relationship he was not good um, and it was just drama mm-hmm. so having someone say the same word of I just thought it was drama mm-hmm. and I was like oh no it's dating violence. It was the same kind of, uh, you know, realization that I had, and I had to wait for college. So that paying it forward felt really well. Um, but I always say, anytime that I can do this work and do this for the 15-year-old me or the 14-year-old friend that I'm thinking of or the 16-year-old cousin or so, so-and-so, the people who, like me, if I'm being real honest, whenever we had health workshops I wasn't paying attention because they weren't engaging me yeah so every time I think like if I engage that person who was like me was kind of not really interested in this work then I know I I you know full circle I did my job so those were kind of the full circle moments love that um 
But yeah, I'm thinking of lots of smiles, even after all this pain and all this work that we've had to go through um, to educate teens. They're, they're so grateful and they want to, they want the information. And now look at them. So many young people are leading the way. So hats off to them. Yeah, I just love because, you know, doing that work, right, there's not a lot of those instant gratification moments where you know you've helped someone, right? Like a lot of that happens behind the scenes. You give them the information, the empowerment, and the tools, and that's something they may recognize or figure out later. And so I love that, you know, all those little moments just captured your heart and really empowered you to keep going as they should, right? Like that's really incredible to know <laughs> you have directly change someone's life for the better, right? Or giving them tools and opportunities to just understand things through a different lens and, you know, have better mm -hmm. relationships for themselves. I think that's so awesome. Just snaps to you, snaps to all that work. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Yeah, those full circle moments are so intrinsically rewarding. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people in this work that say, you know, if I can work to make a difference in one person's life, then it's worth it. Totally. And so... There you go. You officially have that. <laughs> I know you've made a, an impact on so many more, but like Lisa said, a lot of that change happens behind the scenes and we try to find the data for it and do the surveys and all mm -hmm. of that. And it doesn't really accurately reflect what they're actually mm -hmm. learning and all the lives that any of us have been able to impact. We'll never fully understand that. So to hear the ones that we have, I think we can just assume it applies to more and let that fuel us to keep on going in our work and spread it to more people. So what kind of content have you been able to help create for the movement with all of your experiences and knowledge and yeah, really being there at the beginning of getting that initial education and awareness out? I know that you've had some, some really great content you've shared with the rest of us. Yes. So um, I'm really proud to say that I've shaped a lot of the curricula and standards that currently exist for prevention education. Um, maybe not so much in the research academic way, but influencing through community partnerships, which I think also speaks volumes. Yeah. Uh, at Break the Cycle, I was able to create the first ever uh, web-based curricula for dating violence prevention. Um, and what that was, was basically using media and pop culture and video clips from different media and pop culture references to uh, exist on a slideshow, if you will, that had its own microsite and people can go in and stream the videos and there was a comment box. And I was really proud of that curriculum because when I started at Break the Cycle, they had an amazing resource called Ending Violence, but it was a DVD. Yeah. And I was like, um, all these laptops and computers no longer have the capacity to play a DVD. Right. So being a part of that tech growth and having a web-based curriculum, I think, was super awesome. Um, because of Break the Cycle's closure, I wasn't able to see it succeed in the times of COVID when everybody was doing on-demand education. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sharing it with another partner and hopefully it continues to live on, uh, another partner organization. I, I'm, I have hopes that we were onto something uh, using media and pop culture. And I've seen that kind of influence a lot of organizations. So I've developed curricula, uh, the National Awareness, like I mentioned, uh, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. So from where Orange Day to what color of the month, I can still vividly remember being with, I think we had 24 young people, youth advisors in Austin, Texas. And we sat there and we're like, which color do we want? 
and it felt so silly to pick you know a color for the yeah. month but the fact that so many people keep wearing it they associate the color with healthy relationships and with love it just i appreciate you all sharing that you use it so much because it makes me think of those young people who definitely are way past in their 20s and probably early 30s um <laughs> that were part of that movement and it felt so small what we were doing in that conference room was like oh are people gonna you know do this work are they really gonna rally around yeah. so I was a part of pioneering like you said a lot of those efforts um we've I've also worked with uh, different community organizations to make resources more inclusive and culturally affirming mm. so when we think about violence prevention when we look at different systems for education and different standards we know that they're not always inclusive of all the diverse voices mm -hmm. of students and survivors so looking at things like language access and cultural barriers yeah. to thinking about safety planning you know think if you think about helping a survivor it's not always like go talk to a counselor right. when so many communities especially communities of color like more of a familial healing holistic approach mm -hmm. so it's thinking about how to take some of the standards that are maybe exclusive of the needs of certain communities and really look at how to take a theory of practice towards more cultural competence or responsiveness um, as a consultant I've really, really enjoyed working in both program and operations. Mm -hmm. So what I learned um, over the years is that I like both being able to be out in community and also trying to figure out how to put all the fires out at the organizational, at organizational mm -hmm. level. So the contracts that I take on, I take them on because I believe that the mission of the organization um, towards, you know, supporting youth and working with youth is strong. So I've been able to look at things like grant writing um, and also training at national conferences a little bit more. Um, so there's a, probably a lot more. And someone told me I need to write everything that I've done down. And I think I get overwhelmed and exhausted. Mm -hmm. So if there's anyone out there that could just tag me in any resource you know that I've created, that'll be a start. But no, I think a lot of it too is I, I come to this work with such a community lens that I very rarely will say, oh, that has Jasmine's touch, or that is what Jasmine did. It's like, oh, and you noticed in my response, the youth advisors, right. the organizations I work with, um, because it does take more than one individual person, but it does take an individual to really stand out against some of the status quo and the social norms and say, nah, this isn't it. Yeah. We got to figure out how to rework it. So I'm always happy to be that person um, to have people kind of, challenge a little bit of how we're doing things um and whenever possible take it a little further i just love doing that i love every minute of that answer and i think it's just really incredible to think about the ways which you helped just continue and forward that messaging as far as it can go right like updating some of the technology to make sure that you know it's branching out even further than you could with just a dvd uh you're accessing different cultures different groups of people that maybe you know weren't aligning with some of the original messages the important messages right that were out there prior and so again just so commendable the work that you've been doing um the reach you've had the impact you've had not only in the youth's lives but also the agencies you've worked for and just communities as a whole i just think it's it's really incredible to hear all the work you've done and i'd be so curious 
if you did have that list of all the things you've done. <laughs> I'd be really curious to see the number of the things you've created and done throughout the years. I'm sure it would be extremely impressive as you already are. Anytime I have a conversation with Jasmine, she's like, oh, wait, hold on. I did that last summer. Let me pull that up. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, such a, a wealth of resources. Yeah. And talking about making the content, you know, apply to more communities. I was actually in our middle school classroom today. I say middle school classroom because that's how small our community is. Like it's literally the seventh and eighth graders. I think we had 13 students today. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked to Jasmine about this too. And we were reading them a resource from Love is Respect actually. And there was one line in part of the safety planning where it was like, choose which classmate to, or yeah, choose someone who is safe to walk to class with. And someone raised their hand and they're like, uh, we all walk to class together because there's only the 13 of oh. us. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, let's let's talk about how we adjust that to our community. What does that look like? You know, right. if you're all walking together, maybe you can choose, okay, I'm going to walk next to Sarah. I'm not going to walk next to George or insert name here, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, absolutely important um, to involve all communities and make sure that we don't really have to do that with the students of like, well, that doesn't apply to us. You know, that's something that I know I really advocate for is let's make this easy peasy to plug into the rural communities too. So I, I love hearing about all that work. Yeah. And it's so important because I think we fail youth or anyone who's receiving any type of education or training when the standard or the norm of whatever relationship conversation is being given is so heavily privileged to a certain axis or a certain group. I mean, we, we were challenged by this early on in a lot of our references of, you know, using the term boyfriend or girlfriend. And then we had a lot of LGBTQ plus youth were like, excuse me, we don't, one, what that's very gendered and two no we don't use the term boyfriend and girlfriend so here's another um resource that i created (laughs) um which was a tweak your speak is what we called it um and what it was all about was when we do trainings and we have we give out references or examples how can we change the way we speak to be more relevant to youth and a lot of those were some of my favorite trainings because i would train adults and they're like well we're not going to use all these ling like this lingo like will sound really odd i'm like i'm definitely not training you and telling you to like go in and pretend to be a teenager that's not what i'm saying but one of the favorite things that came up is when you hear bay right? BAE was really popular. What does that mean? And one of the facilitators was like, does that mean bacon and eggs? Uh, And I was like, (laughs) not quite. Maybe it could. (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely, but no, it's before anyone else, before anything else. And then you see organizations, you know, like Safe Bay adopt that type, that word to really emphasize that they're youth centered and using the the language or talking about, um, you know, emojis. My favorite training still to this day is a training that I have created around looking at emojis and whether they're threatening and, and, you know, to, to someone who does not realize that that message is threatening or intimidating, um, it can be really confusing. And we had, I worked with our team of lawyers at Break the Cycle who were also trying to decode 
messages that were threatening mm. to a partner and showing it to a judge to say, um, yeah, you see this emoji with the fist and the like star thing? That's not a star. That's like an explosion. Right. That means a threat. And so a lot of that evolution of being youth-centered and listening to youth and understanding the lingo and the approach and the language, um, that was really exciting for me. But no, I mean, I think about that example that you gave uh, Brie and how unfortunately a lot of content and curricula is still very mainstream. And that I think can be the resolution there is to make sure that whenever content is created, you have an advisory group or some kind of touch point to all the communities that exist. Yeah. Because it is hard to create one resource for everyone because it shouldn't <laughs> be that way, right? Mm -hmm. But at least have influence of all the voices of a variety of communities instead of only going to the mainstream typical schools or students that, you know, the majority gets funded for or the majority of mm -hmm. students that you think may exist. Right. So I think that the res a resolution is honestly just tapping into community a little bit more. Yeah. I love that you mentioned emojis. Um, just, I think it was two episodes ago. She's where I got the idea for the episode. <laughs> yeah. We made two fools of ourselves trying to just look at some of like the slang words and the emojis that youth are using and try to just give like our honest guess of like, what could this mean? You know, being people like in our thirties, near thirties. Um, yeah, that was a fun one because we were so, so off, but I mean, that's really important to think about, right? Even like just working with you, they're having youth in your life in any capacity. It's so important to understand that dialogue because yeah, there could be a lot that we're missing, right? In terms of things being threatening, dangerous, harmful in relationships, if things are sexual or just anything like that lingo and that whole like culture of young people, wherever you're at, knowing that and tapping into that understanding. So important, right? I mean, to just connect with them at all or understand the things that they're going through. And so, yeah, if you haven't listened to that one, Jasmine, we, you know, if you need a good laugh later, maybe just pop that on the background, you know, because we, we really, yeah, we had a good time doing that one because, yeah, it was not easy. I'll say that really was not easy. Some of them were like, oh, we know this. And then it was like, nope, <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah, I'll definitely listen in. By the way, to our listeners, there's a few that we listened back to the episode and we were like, oh my yes. gosh. Okay, that's why that means that. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually was laughing while editing it, doing that same thing. Because I was like, oh, of course that means that. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good moments in there. Um, but yeah, I think that's just, that's such an important component of it, right? And I love that, you know, you guys took so many different approaches to really be as inclusive as possible. It's, it's a really hard task sometimes, right? To like, make sure that your, mm -hmm. your lessons, your reach can really just continually extend. Um, but just the level of intent you had with that and the level of work that you did and especially putting youth first and center, right? A lot of us in the field are, yeah, all adults, maybe we've gone through it uh, or survivors ourselves, but you know, there's something really powerful to letting youth lead the way and, and create a lot of their own dialogue and create a lot of their own ideas in terms of what resources are helpful and what's necessary for people to know. And so just, oh, just such admiration this whole episode for you and all of the work you've done. And so to, to end cap this year, our last question for you, and I'm really excited to hear your answer. Do you have 
any dreams or ideas or thoughts uh, on how this whole movement can or will evolve going forward? Like what are maybe some things you would love to see or some dreams you have for this movement? Yeah, um, I do have a big answer for that one. So hold on tight. We're ready. I think we have to unpack everything we've done so far and really put aside things that are honestly are not youth centered or youth led i i firmly and have always believed that young people are the leaders now Mm -hmm. that young people are the experts in their own relationships and in their own lives and can absolutely benefit from some of our guidance and expertise that we have as well but I'm hoping that in this wave of advocacy that I'm seeing from young people across all all platforms and across all issues that we really stop and think about it does this serve young people in the way they want to be served yeah does this really make a difference to the youth or young person or teen or advocate, whichever label you want to put upon them, is it truly going to shape their ability to recognize what the signs of abuse are and to take the action they want to take? Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy in careers or in fields where it's supporting youth, youth supporting or um, youth serving, however you want to call it, to still take some of the reins away from them. I have done this. I am not perfect at all. Um, But what I have appreciated is those moments of reflection where I can stop and say, "Mm, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the best way for me to be an ally Mm -hmm. at the moment. Maybe that wasn't the best way to show my support. So my big dream is for there to be some type of national youth led 100% um, convening or conference for multiple people and organizations with different voices to really just get at the root and the intersections of everything that is dating uh, dating violence and abuse. For us to create the opportunity to talk about racism and equity and inclusion and dating violence. For us to talk about poverty and incarceration and dating Mm -hmm. violence because I think we've been going about it Rightfully so, to have a spotlight, this is dating violence, this is what we're going to focus on, but we also need to look at all the other things that are at the intersections, Um, so many other factors that are inhibiting and limiting some of the success that uh, young people can have in their own relationships or in community because we're not addressing some of the more nuanced um, examples of community violence or some that are not so... Uh, familiar. So I know that there are some organizations that I'm currently working with. I already mentioned Safe Bay, um, but safebay.org is an organization that is currently looking at the walkouts that are happening on campus due to the, let's just say what it is, lack of response from school districts and personnel to support student survivors or students who have experienced Mm -hmm. rape. Um, I'm seeing, I see them kind of leading the way and leading the charge But as adults in this field, we also cannot tokenize youth and expect them to carry the weight 
if we can support. Yeah. So I would love if I had all the powers in the world <laughs> to be able to bring people to lunch <laughs> um, and just sit and say, what have we been doing so far? Where do we think we need to go? And then stop, bring in the young people and have them say, this is what you've been doing and this is where we think we need to go. Right. And then come together to see is there a path to move forward or are we kind of just, you know, doing the work in, in spirals and in silos and it's not really advancing anything? Like what is the call to action here? Yeah. So that is a little deep. Um, Lisa, I know you wanted to hear my response. It's kind of like shake the doors, really dismantle some of the stuff we've been mm-hmm. doing. But with the with the hope of reaching a new wave of, awareness and education um it's been 2010 what are we at 12 years right since the first ever dating violence awareness month 12 years is a long time and still it's still young it's still in its like toddler stage if you will if uh, compared to other movements but you know we've learned a lot i think a lot of attention has gone towards racial equity, uh, diversity conversations for sure, mental health, um, you know, just looking at just different standards of practice. So it's about time that we stop and think, like, do we keep doing what we've been doing or is there a better way? And I absolutely firmly believe it has to be led by youth with adults supporting. Supporting is underlined. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to define how they want to be supported not us as adults saying this is what support looks like right like we can model it and we could scaffold it but they have to be able to buy in and say no i'm taking i'm taking the reins here this is my you know have the autonomy to say this is what support looks like for Mm -hmm. me and we have to listen so that's my my hope um not sure if I'll be knocking on any doors to get that done soon. It's a big lofty go. But if anyone wants to join this this rally, I mean, so many, like you all, so many organizations are doing this in pockets. So I'm just hoping it all comes to light at a bigger national scale and international scale, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that idea. And I had goosebumps a few times mm-hmm. while you were talking, just thinking about how powerful that would be to have all of us as, you know, adult advocates now in the room and some of us coming to the work as survivors of teen dating violence, because I am a pretty outspoken survivor of teen dating violence as well. Mm -hmm. And taking our experience and then meshing it with the current youth who are currently seeing this. And it also makes me think, I was in the same boat as you as I didn't really realize I was going through teen dating violence until after I was out of it and after I was getting a formal education. And so for these youth to still be in that age bracket and to know what is going on, to name it and to be able to talk about it and work in activism with it to the level that they are, I I can't even fathom that. And there is so much power in that. And I absolutely think that needs to be heard by everyone. And even the content I was presenting to the middle schoolers today, you know, kind of circling back and making sure, is that what I wanted them to hear or is that what they're needing to hear from me? I think that is Mm -hmm. such an important question for us to daily ask ourselves every single time we're presenting anything to them. Mm -hmm. 
it's accountability all around, really. Yeah. It's um, looking within and looking out and making sure that we're holding each other to the standards that we all want to be held in this movement. So I think the spirit of accountability is definitely one that I hope is sprinkled across all of the fields and all the platforms. Absolutely. All right. We thank you so much for having this conversation. I know I am just refueled. I mean, I just finished up a week of presentations today. I'm like, Mm -hmm. get me back out there. I want to keep talking with them and create more or scaffold more youth leaders. See, now I'm catching myself and how Mm -hmm. I'm even talking about working with youth. Um, Just really making sure that they are at the center, that they are informing our work because what work are we doing if it's not actually what they are listening to and what they're holding on to so I will definitely take so much of this conversation with me moving forward and uh, we have a tradition here at the end of our podcast episodes where we move into a quick meditation just to recenter ourselves after conversations especially if someone is experiencing dating violence or has experienced it in the past, to just take a moment to thank yourself for being here. So I normally read a script of a meditation, but I kind of just felt like going for it today, whatever kind of feels like it needs to be said, because I know I could use a little meditation today. So if we want (laughs) to just take a couple minutes to get in a a comfortable spot and give ourselves a little bit of time. We'll do that right now. So we can get yeah comfortable and close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. And just become aware of everything that has come up in our bodies in this conversation. I shared that I, I had chills a few times and maybe for some people listening, this is bringing up some trauma and some some really hard times in their life, but I think we can also recognize the hope that we have moving forward. So if we just do a quick body check-in, see if there's anything that's holding tension right now. We hold tension in our shoulders, kind of wiggle those out. Any kind of tenseness in our hands. You can open and close your fingers. Really checking in with your body. If you're in a chair, you can go ahead and firmly plant your feet into the ground. And take some deep breaths here. And as you're breathing, just make sure that your exhales are a little bit longer than your inhales. Quick way to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and our emotional regulations, just making sure we're sharing that fresh oxygen with all of our body, especially if we're wiggling out something that's tighter tense. Just taking a moment to take care of ourselves.
If you need to stay in this space, go ahead and maybe press pause and take some more breaths for yourself. But we can go ahead and come back into the room. Thank you guys for taking that moment. I always appreciate it. I always look forward to our podcast episodes because I'm like, okay, I know at the end of this, I get to take a little moment. <laughs> yeah. Meditation time. And thank you for that. I loved that. Um, it's always just so nice to take a nice couple breaths, you know, but I think that was an inspiring little script just to think about and hope and survivorship and all of that. And so to come to a close here today, I just want to say, Jasmine, thank you so much, not only for just joining us today to just discuss um, your impact in the movement, the incredible work you've done over the last over a decade, um, but yeah, just just holding this conversation with us. I know that a lot of listeners out there, regardless of you know possibly how far removed they are from working in this field, I think that so many people are going to be really inspired um, and just really appreciative of the work that's going on for the youth, right, in our communities and around this country, around the world, right? And so, yeah, huge thank you. Um, it was a total joy and honor to have this conversation with you today. And so on that note, to all of our listeners out there, we're going to have a lot of things linked below you can go check out in terms of certain things Jasmine has done within the movement and also just a plethora of different teen dating violence resources. We encourage you to check those out. But again, a huge thank you to Jasmine, all of our listeners out there that joined us for this episode, and we hope you will join us for our next conversation.